Billy and Bray is reporting for duty to bring physical and health education with a noble purpose. You're listening to the Lean Braze radio show at theleanbraze.com. We are Avengers of Health. Welcome, Braze. I'm Ron Jones with Dr. Sarah Barron. And we're Lean Braze announcing uh, the show topic of the day, which is we're going to be talking about public health in relation to the coronavirus, COVID-19, and what's going on today. And uh, thank you, Dr. Barron, for joining us today. Oh, yeah. Hello. Happy to be here. And I, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to call you Sarah because we have known each other for over 20 years, so... We'll just, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and my doctorate is in a, a education with a master's in public health. So it's definitely a, I, I don't mind being called Sarah <laughs> at all. So okay. go for it. Well, I reached out to you, Sarah, and, and because we actually used to work in public health together many years ago. And because of that experience, and I know you have a master's in public health, but I got a completely different awareness of what's behind the scenes with public health. And as this thing started to unfold and there were decisions being made and and people studying uh, epidemiology and all these things, I started speaking to my elementary school students about what is public health, what is epidemiology, what's behind the decisions being made. And I thought it would be a, just an excellent show to do for people to help them understand. Because as, even as a person that is a credential teacher with a master's degree that has a background in in exercise science, it's difficult to get my head around all the different pieces of information. So uh, Sarah had done a PowerPoint, an animated PowerPoint, which I'll share uh, on the link for this show, where she took her, her, her community college students through about 20 minutes of explanation of what this thing is and what we need to do about it. And Sarah, I thought it was just excellent because it, it really was the best thing that I've seen so far in terms of... Wow, yeah, great. Yeah, and I... Because <laughs> there's a lot out there. <laughs> there. There is a lot out there, but you you did really a, a sweet job just keeping it simple. So my questions for the show today, just to kind of uh, get people to stay on and listen, we're going to talk about what is public health from like a 30,000-foot bumper sticker definition view. So you have an understanding and maybe an, a deeper appreciation for these people that are working so diligently right now to help us figure this out. What is epidemiology and why is it important? How to connect with clear communications? Because one of the things I learned working in public health, you don't say anything until you've done your fact checking. It's really important not to give people mm-hmm. bad information when you've got a whole population of people ready to do what you say to do. And then um, what is the latest? And I know this is very fluid, so it's changing constantly, and you're monitoring those updates. It's March 23rd day in the evening here in California. And what are the latest updates with hard surface contamination? And we got to talk about the mask, to mask or not mask, because I'm completely confused on what I should be doing mm-hmm. on that. But, yeah, and I, I'm going to refer to, whenever in doubt, you're going to hear me say, according to the World Health Organization. And that, that's fine. <laughs> and then the last thing, the naysayers, and I, I've looked at the Spanish flu as well and, and those numbers, and it still doesn't compare to what happened then. So let's just talk about that rationally, like, 
because there was a lot of people saying, well, why are we getting so upset about this? Because the Spanish flu did this and millions of people died. And so mm-hmm. let's start with, you know, in a simplistic way, what is public health and what's that umbrella uh, look like? And why should we be a little bit educated on that, even as a common everyday citizen? Uh, so uh, how I like to say, uh, just real shortly, public health is population health. Okay. And so what that means is it's basically focusing in on the whole entire uh, population groups of people as opposed to an individual. So a doctor, you, you know, the medical model is uh, someone comes in, they're patients, they go see a doctor, they get treated. Right. Uh, how, how it differs is um, the public health model starts to look at it saying, how do we go upstream to keep people from even getting sick so they, they you know, they're not getting individual treatment. And sometimes um, even looking at the big picture of uh, what are things that we can put in place to keep whole groups of people from getting sick. So that means that even that individual, that person goes in, uh, the doctor treats them, uh, they have something called a notifiable disease. So that actually gets reported to the health department. Right. The health department collects data on that, and then then we'll start to do do mandates. Like we'll say, you know, that person needs to be isolated, quarantined, um, or we need to do some things to keep to protect um, the whole entire population. So it's it's a it's a completely different mindset um, than the treatment model, which is one person gets seen. One person gets treated. So okay. think big picture. Right. A lot of people. And what would be like a, just a few examples of these identifiable diseases? What would those be like that the health department looks for and, and flags? Okay, so they flag things like um, HIV, uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea. Um, they'll definitely flag uh, really serious infectious diseases like we're seeing with COVID nineteen. Okay. Um, um, the flu is interesting. It's it's not one of the reportable ones, but yet it's one that the uh, and here in Oregon, I, I don't know across every single state, but it's one that an epidemiologist, the data scientist, who's the base of the health department, um, collects data on. And so what we do is we monitor diseases and things that are happening out in the community um, to make decisions about how to keep whole groups of people safe. Okay, so that's that's a nice view. And, and of course, this is a massive amount of people and energy and and, and financial depth uh, to pull something like this off as well. And you mentioned epidemiology, and when I was talking to my elementary PE students, they had no idea what that meant. And so no, why, a lot of people don't. Yeah, well. <laughs> and what what is it, and why is it super important right now to be paying attention to people that just live for data tracking? And this is this is their time to to really shine for us. Well, so I love teaching this chapter, and I would love to teach a whole class on epidemiology. But the father of epidemiology was a person named John Snow. No, not John Snow in the Game of Thrones, but John Snow, who. Um, based in London with a cholera outbreak. And so he was a physician that started tracking, uh, like a detective, mm-hmm. he started tracking all the different diseases uh, outbreaks. And he started uh, interviewing. 
getting sick around one uh, a water source. Mm-hmm. And so he got people to take off the pump for the water pump, the handle for the water pump. And so since then, um, epidemiology really looks and tracks uh, outbreaks of infectious disease, but also chronic diseases um, like cancer to diabetes to every different health you know, outcome that there is out there, too, even injury rates. And so they're constantly mapping out different data points. And they, they're they the people who really love math. They're very much into uh, statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, they love to take uh, data and then create charts and create information that then, like, people like me who are a health educator will take and then take it out to the community and then explain the, you know, the different charts and the different um, information and, and use that to really make informed decisions. Mm-hmm. So health departments usually have an epidemiologist. They usually um, have a master. They have a master's. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a, definitely a graduate um, program. And they um, have very much a strong background in math. And uh, computer language, so they are, they often have to design computer programs, and um, they're very uh, proficient in medical terminology. So they're they're people that really understand you know basic um, biologic you know concepts and um, medical terminology. It's it's a so, re- really fascinating area. I mean, it, I could see how it could be a whole class. It's very very. It's not my thing, but it's very interesting, and I at least understand enough of it to know that it's very important. That, right. That's a nice and, overview. And, yeah, and and it's interesting. Just even now, when I'm looking at some of the data and things that are being put out, I had to take a, a you know different classes when my master's program was epidemiology and biostatistics, and you know. Looking at research and design, and, and you know, even now when I see information uh, that the media is putting out, or that I see on certain Facebook pages or Instagram pages, I can my my mind starts to to go through that and say, is that a credible source? Is that reliable? How is that chart set up? And so, with epidemiologists, when you're going straight from the Center for Disease Control or the World Health Organization. You're, you're getting information direct from people that really have really strong backgrounds in, in those areas. And that's, that is a nice point to make because it leads directly into my next uh, set of questions or topic, which was the importance of correcting clear communications within the realm of, of public health. I know when I worked with you at the Department of Public Health, for us to release anything, it had to go through this whole hierarchy of and multiple drafts and multiple approvals before it actually got pushed out. And every time mm-hmm. we pushed anything out, it was like it was almost like everybody stood up and cheered. It was a big deal to make a state yeah. and make a statement. So you're referencing uh, the Centers for Disease Control, the World Health Organization, CDC, and the WHO. Um, you want to chat a little yeah. bit about how important it is to pay attention to those sources versus somebody's uh, TikTok video, maybe. Oh, yes. And um, basically, uh, my go-to, and you'll see in the YouTube that I, I I definitely use CDC, okay, Center for Disease Control. But the one that I'm going to first is the World Health Organization. 
have a really, really cool, I didn't see this until um, recently, I think this just went up on the page. Um, they have a WhatsApp where you can actually text your questions in to somebody. Oh, interesting. And it's called, yeah, yeah, it's a real time, it, it starts a conversation, and you can text with an expert. Hmm. So I, I love it. And, you know, the question about the, you know, should I wear a mask? protect myself is on here and okay um is COVID-19 the same as SARS all these questions that people are inundated with I'm going right to the World Health Organization because these are infectious disease control experts they're epidemiologists they're health educators they're very very have a very strong background and they vet all the information before they post it so yeah yeah you could say well you know um, maybe that might be true, or you might see something on social media and go, ah, I'm not sure about that. With the World Health Organization, they're only going to put out information they're absolutely certain about. Right, and so you're, you're going to the source for correct and clear communications because that is their business. That's what they do. Right, and, and, and I have to tell you something wrong. If they don't know something, they will say, we don't know at this time. That's nice. <laughs> to me, to me, that shows really strong science. Right. You, 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 you cannot make assumptions mm-hmm. in science. Just the facts. We need to say, sometimes, I'm not sure. I don't know. We need to, we need to do more clinical testing. We need to do more trials. We need, to, we need to get more research. We need to get more data. Right. Because right. the problem is, is, once you put something out there that's incorrect, then people are making medical decisions based off of incorrect decisions. I mean, incorrect information, or people are being uh, making behavioral choices off of incorrect information. And so there's a real there's a real duty to make sure that you're pulling off of correct information. Well, that's a very serious point, and and well taken here. And so now, as we get into the next section, you know, what's the latest in hard surfaces? Let's take a, just a second. I mean, in your opinion as a health educator, public health background, how are you explaining COVID-19, the coronavirus, to your students who are in their early 20s, many of them, so they have a way to grasp this immediately and take that information forward to their families? Like, what are we looking at? Just, I know we've heard a lot already, but in your opinion— working with a lot of younger people, how are you getting that message across as, as to what it is? And again, the PowerPoint's going to do a great job, but we'll just do a little short piece here. Well, I think uh, what I like about the, and I pulled again from the World Health Organization, is that first I, I define what the uh, coronavirus is. Um, you know, that it's a, a group of viruses, and this is a novel one. Mm-hmm. And novel means that um, it has a, it's, it's new in the sense that it's it's mutated, and um, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Um, and, and I'm not going to dive into the microbiology because oh, that's not my area of expertise. But uh, what I love about it is that they um, give a really good background of it um, about being a large family of viruses, mm-hmm. um, and it's very common uh, viruses from like you know the common. Respiratory illnesses ranging from cold to severe disease, you know, diseases. Right. But what's distinct about COVID-19 is that it's a new one. And so what that means is that if you know anything about um, how your immune system works, is that it has 
your immune system has to be able to recognize and and um, and respond to it. And so, if it cannot um, react to it, and with you know, um, with the and it's the uh, how can I say this? With your just your immune system responding to it, mm-hmm. um, then then what happens is, is you have no immunity, so uh, none at all. So, it's, so so is it kind of like sneaking well, in, and, and the body doesn't see it? It's like this stealth ninja that yeah. comes in, and, and so, then all and, of a sudden I, it's too think, late. You know what's funny is that I kind of like if I could do a graphic um, design of this, and this is how I like this: is that viruses um, are sneaky as they just take they take over things, mm-hmm. and then they start to replicate, and then and then they just keep going. It's like it's like uh, without freaking people out. Um, it it's um, they just it's like an invasion, right? <laughs> Right, yeah. And so so it's like an invasion um, coming in, and your immune system doesn't recognize it and no, doesn't know how to attack it. So therefore, it takes over, and it starts to invade and attack and replicate and replicate and attack and and keep on re- reproducing. Well, at some, um, at some point, d- d- does our immune system try to battle it, or is this something that it just is thrown off because it's so new and novel that it doesn't it doesn't get— geared up at all it starts it, 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 it that's a really good question i don't know the exact answer to that but um i know that viruses um you know incubate they replicate they go through their stages um and then um eventually fade away and then eventually our immune system and this is the part that's really interesting in the world health organization um they talk about can you get it again um right i'm hearing and, that yeah yeah, and and I'm I'm looking for that one question. Can you get it again? Um, and I'm not seeing it. I know I covered it in my um, in the, the PowerPoint. Yeah. But the, it 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 basically is the idea that um, oh, it looks like they kind of probably took that off. Is that they don't know? Okay. Because it can mutate again. That's a and, little. And you have another strand. It's a little scary. And and so. It, yeah, and so, but then they have something called where you can start to build up immunity in the population, and they start talking about something called herd immunity, but we're not at that point. And so for those people listening and you're like, what's herd immunity? It's the idea that you start to, you start to build up a, a group of people in the population that have immunity, and they start to kind of surround a vulnerable person from getting it. Interesting. And then it, it, the reproductive... Um, number starts to drop. Hmm. But it, we're not at that point yet. So okay. talking about immunity is something that's a little bit too soon. And talking about how this um, virus runs its course, they're still trying to get their heads wrapped around it because it's varying from person to person. Um, some people are getting hit by this with just mild symptoms. And other people, one out of every six, can have severe illnesses. And when I mean severe, go to the hospital. Right, and they so, they would show the symptoms sooner too, or would it be the same incubation period, or does that vary? It really varies, but they're saying that the incubation period it seems to be hitting right around five, but it could go all the way to four, uh, fourteen. Okay, so five five to fourteen, why, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the reason why they're like uh, they have people in quarantine for fourteen days. Right, right. And I I'd like to go. I really would like to go over what that means. Okay. Um. And I don't want to jump ahead on this interview, yeah, so I won't. Yeah. But eventually, 
virus, they're still getting their heads heads wrapped around how long the virus stays in the body, um, whether it keeps setting after someone becomes it becomes well, um, and that means that someone can still catch it, um, whether people are asymptomatic. And, you know, at this, this, at this point, people start to really get panicky mm-hmm. um, when I start talking like this. Like, oh, my goodness, no. But the reality is, is this is a pretty hardy virus when you think about it. It doesn't kill off the host, usually. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it keeps the host, um, and the host being us, um, you know, pretty healthy, mm-hmm. um, in a sense. Sometimes we just get mild symptoms. Sometimes we can be asymptomatic and just have a low-grade fever or right. not even be aware. Right, you know, right. Um, and be shedding this. Um, we recover, usually, majority, mm-hmm. um, you know, within, uh, you know, anywhere from two to six weeks. And so it's not knocking people off like a like Ebola, like when I think of Ebola, which is really intense, or some other, um, you know, really scary ones like measles. Right. But what this, but this one is, what's alarming about this one is it's novel, and we don't know a lot of things about this. And so as a community, as a, as a public health, we need to be doing this thing where we, we give time. This is the thing that I'd love to stress in this, in this podcast, mm-hmm. is we're giving time to slow it down so that researchers can actually research this so that the healthcare system can treat it so- and so that we can start to develop vaccinations to possibly even protect against it in the future. So we need but we need time to we need things. yeah we need time to prepare so we know what to do. We need a few weeks then uh, just to get we, a little more data. We need more, more data. than a few weeks. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that 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 because we passed the um, complete containment stage and we've gotten into community transmission, we're going to probably need about at least two months before okay. we see this plateau out. And okay. so people are going to have to take social distancing. It's gonna. What you're gonna see happen, Ron, is you're gonna see everything gear up. And as people don't do social distancing, what happens is it gears up the public health community and legislators and and law to say, okay, if you don't do it, then we're gonna we're gonna start mandating. Right. And then what they'll do is they'll get more and more intense. And um, and this is absolutely legal because by public health. In our Constitution, we have something called the Tenth Amendment that pushes policing power to the state mm-hmm. to allow them to do quarantine and isolation because we have been through epidemics in the past that have mo- almost wiped us out. Yellow fever, um, you know, the Spanish flu or the pandemic. Um, the Spanish flu is just, actually it's got its name because only people were talking about it um, in Spain, but it was happening during World War, War One, and we didn't want to say that we were getting sick. So that's right. a political thing. Right, right. So so, so know that you're going to see people gearing up. Well, uh, and, then, the, and then it's going to give us time. Public health. To do the, research, the, to do the vaccination. Yeah, public health is really powerful. And people don't realize it because, you know, we don't go through things like this every day. But when they start flexing their power, things are going to happen quickly. And that's one right, thing I exactly. want people to understand. Like, you need to, if they say don't do this, you'd better be not doing it because otherwise. Yeah, they actually. Yeah. Yeah. They will actually, 
like here in Oregon, they just announced that they are going to start giving out fines to people who do not honor, honor social distancing. Right. Um, I saw that get posted today. So let me just explain this again back to the public health. Yeah. There, there is also a real law enforcement side to public health. Mm-hmm. So when I was working at the public health department, um, I would be doing news releases and um, doing public information announcements, but also I'd be working right alongside the law enforcement side mm-hmm. because it's the idea that we're protecting the whole entire population. So we're doing that, but also we're really, if we do social distancing right, we can slow it down that people can use their expertise to really research this virus and really start to put in some, um, some health care and treatment to prevention methods that we can really embrace. But right now, because it's novel, really saying things with 110% confidence on what this virus is and everything around it, you, you can't do that right now because it's still in the research mode. And you know, really trying to understand it. So in some ways, the p- public health is like it, it's part of the arm of first responders in some ways um, on the mm-hmm. scientific side. It, yeah, it, it usually doesn't come out. Uh, you'll see it like with the, you know, food inspections, like they'll close down a restaurant. Or right, like that. right, right. Um, or they'll come in and they'll, um, there's a measles outbreak and they'll come in and they'll come swooping in and they'll contain and they'll, do a news release, and then they'll put people in quarantine, and they'll isolate them, or they'll do different things, and then the outbreak's done. Um, they're kind of like the small little forest fires that flame up, and then they come out and they put them down. And so you really ne- never have a raging forest fire because they're constantly putting out little sparks right, in, right. Our, in our community. That's true. That's so, true. So I think I think what this COVID-19 is that for, for the Californians, you kind of need to think of this as a wildfire. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're trying to figure out how to contain it. And panicking and freaking out is going to be the worst thing you could do as far as hoarding food, but really, or, or you know, going off misinformation. Right. But being really cognizant of what you need to do and how you need to place yourself so that you can give the, um, all the people responding to this and understanding it time to react to it so that we don't have more cases so that we can slow it down so it can become um, more of a thoughtful process instead of a reactive process. So we need I think to, that's where we need to think about Yeah, it. we need to do our part as citizens to help the people that are trying to help us. And, and in the process of that, we're helping our neighbor, but also we're helping the people that are working hard to protect us. Uh, and public mm-hmm. health. And so mm-hmm. uh, on that note, in the specifics, like what's the latest today on hard surface contaminations? Because depending on what kind of, you know, uh, substance we're talking about, whether it's HIV or something else, there are different, there are different rates of, of um, you know, how long the, the, whatever it is can live on whatever kind of surfaces. So on the COVID-19, what's what's the latest as of March 23rd? Well, let me tell you, I'm sticking with, with the World Health Organization again. They're staying very clear with this. Right. You'll see in the YouTube video, I kind of go, I, I go over the transmission, and I start off with aerosol. Yeah. And, and the idea that it goes out into, like someone sneezes or coughs, and it goes out into the air. Right. And then 
someone else either inhales that or, um, or you know, basically is right by that sneeze cough and they become exposed to the aerosol and to the, to the droplets in the air and they, mm. they inhale it. But the second one that you're referring to is when those drop onto the surface. Right. Now, what's interesting about that and when I'm, when I'm reading about it and what World Health Organization is, they don't know how long that virus can last on that surface. Okay. But the reality is it, um, but it seems to behave like other coronaviruses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it could, it could, could be up to, from a few hours to several days. Um, it really depends on the surface, the temperature, the humidity of the environment. Okay. So imagine like um, someone sneezes into their hand and then they grab the door. Right. And then you, right after them, you know, touch something that they had just touched. Right, right. Um, and and so I think, you know, it's 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 a really close, fast contact. Um, you know, which kind of at one point they were saying, you know, what about you know wearing gloves? Well, it's the same idea that if you're wearing gloves and you touch that that item that they just touched, and then you touch your face or you touch your nose, your eyes. It's just on the glove. You're moving that virus. Right, from a glove. So, I mean, it's, it's the idea of that, of that droplet, you know, being transmitted, transferred from one area to the next. So, okay. It's tricky, man. Helps. Well, it, it's just tricky, you know. It, it's uh, very problematic um, because, yeah. you know, hours so or days. So that's the reason. Yeah, so that's why they're saying don't touch your eyes, hands, mouth, or nose, and why you need to wash your hands. Well, now this starts um, making this starts making sense, Sarah, because they're they're saying just stay home. Well, if you go through your whole house and your your family is, as far as you know, is clean, it's easier to contain your immediate house. But as soon as you go right. out and you start interacting with the public, and then you know you're bringing this back in, or you're, I mean. It starts to make sense why they're being so adamant about just stay home, right? Yeah, just stay home. And, and you know, what I've noticed, too, is that people are, like, really into this idea of mapping out the virus. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look, we've got five in this zip code, and we've got three in that zip code. Um, I'm going to say that defeats the whole point, because it's not about where someone has COVID-19. Mm-hmm. It's, a social, it's a social transmitted disease. It's like that person from one zip code could go across all the way across town, right. interact with someone across town, and that's not how this works. You know, don't think about it as geographic location. Okay. Look at it as a tr- socially transmittable disease. So when people are socializing and they're like standing less than three feet or six feet to get as close, right. and they're still going on a hike, but they're like really close together, you are interacting with somebody. Right, and, so, and, and this is where, you know, the all-for-one, one-for-all thing needs to kind of surface here. That was part of my background in classical PE studies. That that was the mindset, if you will. And so it was for good citizenship and things like that. So I went out to uh, a popular trail site this weekend. I thought, well, I'll do some running, and it's just a pretty wide-open area. I've never seen mm-hmm. so many people there in my whole life, and I've been living in this area since 2005 and going up there. I couldn't in good conscience— Stay. As a citizen, doing my part to to adhere to what the guidelines were of the day, 
um, I felt like I had to leave. And I went to another part of town where it was much more remote, where it was not a problem to stay over six feet away from anyone that happened to be on the road that I was running down. Yeah, I'm struggling with that, too. Um, yeah. I've gone to a couple of trails, and, you know, at one point I was like, you know, telling my partner, please just park really away from the cars. Right. And, and, um, and it's, 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 I don't think people quite get this part. So, and to be really quite fair, the messaging wasn't very clear. So I know that Oregon's gone out and, and clarified it again, and the German chancellor clarified it again and said mm-hmm. no more than two people, period. Yeah, right. And one of the things I communicated with my students before we went on break last week, as I said, you know, they were talking about things being fluid, and they do this in emergencies. And I, they didn't know what that meant. I said, well, it, it's like water. It moves, it sloshes around a lot. It can change shapes quickly, right? So it's fluid. I mean, what is what we're talking about today could be outdated tomorrow, you know, because they'll have more mm-hmm. data, they'll make uh, more informed decisions, and there's a policy change. Um, so, well, you know, I'm I'm thinking I'm I'm understanding in our conversation here today. I, I'm I'm starting to grasp the importance of 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 just staying at home as much as absolutely possible. And it's very difficult for people like us who have spent our whole professional careers advocating people go outside and exercise and stay physically active and and initially that was the message well that's okay but as but as we've talked about it's fluid and and things are changing um my well i think i i, I rondo but i think i think the messaging has been very clear from the get-go about this being a social disease uh-huh we just didn't put the mandates in and we didn't have our screening available to us okay so there's it's kind of like we're we're kind of behind the eight ball trying to catch up right and so that's what probably people are feeling your your powerpoint uh did a great job explaining that uh graphically about that opportunity for containment and have we blown through that like i really i really understood that much better after seeing you lay that out so again i'll have this powerpoint um on the link for the show and very seldom do I just mandate my whole family. We're all getting down and we're watching this together. We're having, we're doing this thing right now, and we did that with your presentation. Everybody came oh, in. Wow. We all sat down together and we had a family discussion um, afterwards for quite a few minutes. So I highly recommend um, to the people listening they check that out. But next thing is, it, I'm very confused about this. Should we be wearing a mask or not? Because I've heard both. And yeah, okay. I, I'm I very want, confused on this. this. So, so um, you know, I'm going to pull from um, World Health Organization, okay? Okay. So they're saying only wear a mask if you're ill with COVID-19 symptoms. Okay. Like you're coughing. Or okay. you're looking after someone who has COVID-19, which, by the way, there's a whole other set of um protocols that you need to follow, which are on the Center for Disease Control on how to do that. Right. Um, and then, this is interesting, they're saying dispose of face masks, it can only be used once, but the reality is is that we're going to start seeing, um, talking to different hospitals, they are, um, I wouldn't say so much recycling them, but reusing them, like they're asked, they have uh, names on um, bags that they have the healthcare person put the bag, they put the right. uh, mask in, and then they sanitize it and they use it again. They're not 
they're setting that up as a protocol of last resort. Right. But they they're not welcoming homemade um, masks. Now that's great it gives something for people to do, and it's probably out there somewhere. And yeah. Probably there's always an exception to that rule, but generally, um, what they're going to do though is um, they don't want people to go out and hoard the mask. Right. They want them to use them to have them available for healthcare professionals. And so the big big thing is is that how we've seen the transmission of this virus again, stressing that, is three to six feet. So if you maintain a six foot distance from somebody, yeah. again back to social distancing. Right. And you don't like use your credit card to give it to somebody else or you're not signing on the screen and you pay online and you completely are separated from that person, or even you have a delivery and you set up a table that's like six feet away from your front door so you're not opening the door, but the person just puts the, the food on the table. Yeah. That way you're not having exposure. That's where we need to have our mindset. Okay. Because if we do face masks, we don't even know if we have the right types or even if people are wearing it the right way. Right. people not doing the right way. I, I saw someone today wearing a mask, and they had it half on. They yeah. didn't even have it on right. Yeah, and there are different levels so, of protection with masks. I mean, I, I came out of industrial health, so I, I was around safety people all the time. But, you know, there are thin masks and thicker masks and different filtration rates. And and then, again, it's like hearing protection. You know, most people that put in earplugs don't put them in right, so they don't get the decibel cut that they're supposedly getting think right. they're thinking they're getting right. it's like yeah. you know it's hardly doing anything right so that is true so this explains why they were on the news the other night saying just because somebody has a mask don't think that they're sick because some people even though the recommendation is well if if you have symptoms you know wear the mask or if you've been exposed wear the mask some people are wearing the mask anyway and so maybe people are well, freaking out if also, they see the mask you know well let, let's just think back to this mask here if i'm coughing right? yeah and I have a mask on. Right. I am not, now I'm not having aerosol, you know, and all my droplets going out into the world. Sure. Right? Yeah. But if I'm healthy and I'm not coughing and I maintain a six-foot distance from people. Yeah. Then I really don't need to wear a mask. Well, we, so, could, we could also think that if we did need the mask later, it wouldn't be soiled or contaminated. And we might want to save it for later if we don't really need it exactly. now. Exactly. Maybe and that's, I think that's what they're trying to say is, like, save it for the people who are sick, save it for health care, and for the, all those healthy people, stay home. Or if you do decide to go running out in the world, yeah, don't go to a populated place. Don't run alone. Like, try to find a space where you're not going to be around people. Just stay home. I mean, really hard. That's, well, it's really this is hard what it's coming down to. People. Yeah, well, it's really hard for people who live in metropolitan areas. How in the world are you going to do that? Right, Sarah, you're like, I'm sorry, I'm in New York. I can't get to that. Or I'm in a populated L.A. area. I'm going to run into 20 people. Yeah, so get, it, we're getting into know? behavioral psychology and culture, too. This is a, and Americans are just, they're pretty used to doing what they want to do when they want to do it, even right. if it's quite uh, unreasonable. Exactly. And literally overnight, that's changing. And, you know, I, with the things that I study, I get the, context of what's going on and I'm I feel like I need to do my part as a citizen but not everyone has that mindset but they will be mandated to deal with that if if they keep 
doing whatever they want to do. They're going to be fined or put right. in jail. I mean, that's, this is where it can go and where it already is going. But You're lo- right. I think it's, I think stay-at-home message needs to be it. I think they were saying, you know, get out and go for a walk. What they didn't realize is that people thought, ooh, get out and go for a walk, and we can all meet out there and go for a walk together, and that was not the message. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's nice, but it became a social thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is no, not, it's kind not, of the point is to I be antisocial, right? <laughs> I, I, I see public health people going, oh my goodness, we should have said, go for a walk if you completely be by yourself and not interact with anyone within, you know, a 10-foot, okay, right. 10-foot radius. Okay, back it up. If there are more than two people in your group, you are now in a social setting that. But you know, this is a this is a great we'll make a teachable moment out of this. This is a great example of what happens if the communication isn't just perfectly crystal clear. Because even when it is, people right. will misunderstand it. And this this is why the health department spends so much time putting together a statement, you know. Yeah. Because ultimately someone's not gonna understand it. You want to minimize that as much as possible. The last big point I wanted to talk about. If you just look at the numbers of the Spanish flu versus uh, COVID-19, they're, they're not adding up. And so there's a lot of people saying, oh, this is just an overreaction. We're ruining the global mm-hmm. economy because of this or that. Like, what's the epidemiology side of that? And what, what, what's the—can you help us understand that better? You know, that, that Spanish flu analogy is—and I, you know— I'm not an expert in the history of Spanish flu, but I do know that um, sometimes mild versions of a flu will come in, hit people a little bit, and then come flying back the following year and wipe people out hmm. because it mutates. It's, what you have to think about is a virus is like an invader. Right. So it's getting to know the host, and then as it, it does this, it, it's an amazing evolutionary kind of thing. We'll keep mutating to survive and get more virulent. So I think I think the big thing people need to realize is that this is when you act now. You let the researchers study this, you slow things down, you you get a vaccination out there and you get ahead of this. Mm-hmm. If you treat this kinda of like it's not as big as the Spanish flu, brace yourself because the following year it could be. Okay. Okay, that that not to be totally an alarmist, but it's right. like yeah, let, you you let a novel virus come into your uh, into the list of diseases in the world. Now you have another disease that has to be monitored for the rest of eternity. And and what public health likes to do is it likes to eradicate diseases. Hello, smallpox, mm-hmm. eradicated. Hello, polio, not quite there, but we're almost. Right. Hello, measles, we almost had it, but dang, it didn't happen. We were, ugh, and then we had an outbreak again, and now it's like this disease that's prevalent again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it has a higher prevalence rate than we used to see. So, so we don't want this to be around and us having to track it. So, the... so this is our opportunity to really jump on a disease that is pretty, pretty interesting. It's got a long incubation period. It doesn't kill off the host. And it could be spread asymptomatically, they're starting to see. So this is one that we do not want to have around. So we need we need to be on top of it because we don't want it to be a future Spanish flu. So that that's right? very helpful. That so yeah, yeah, it does that does make 
more sense to me now. So it's not like, okay, the numbers aren't comparable right now, but because of because of the configuration of this virus, it has mm-hmm. the potential to do what the Spanish flu did, and we don't want to get into that next year. So this remind you know, I used to work with oil companies, and they had a policy uh, on the environmental health and safety side. If there was an oil spill or some kind of chemical you know, emergency, their motto was get big quick. Get everybody in there, call the agencies, don't try to hide it, let's get big quick, and let's get on top of it. And I think that's what the government and and the global oh, public, yeah, the public health it, community. They, that would have been a really good one because that 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 really nails it. Yeah, it is get big quick, get big quick on something that you can actually possibly. Yeah, I know we have community transmission and that this is now an exponential growth. I get that, but the reality is, you don't want it to keep growing because when you have exponential growth, anyone who knows where you, something exponentially grows. It doesn't grow by like you know one or two. Right, it grows right. By by large numbers. Right. And so you 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 don't want the numbers to keep going up because every time mentally I have to tell you something wrong. Every time I see that case count go up, I don't think of one person. I think of about at least ten people that person might have interacted with. Right. And then who those what ten what other ten people. Those people interact. Well, that that so, that was one of the points in your you know, presentation. What was called it was called contact tracking or something. What was the technical? Yeah, con- it's called uh, it's called contact tracing. Contact tracing. Is, wow, that was mind blowing when I saw you explain that. It's like wow, that's intense. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what the health department does. They actually assign a person to the person who has the disease, and they have a public health nurse or a medical investigator. Or someone follow up, and they start saying, "Okay, now, um, hypothetically, a person gets it. Who have you been in contact with over the past fourteen days?" Fourteen days. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, because you could have been, you know, hundreds of people, right? So this is the reason why they also another reason why they want the social distancing is so that someone can reasonably say, "I haven't been to a concert, right? I interacted with a thousand people." And now they call that a super spreading event, SSE. And so when that happens, how in the world do you contact a thousand people? Right. You can't. Right. Yeah. Now you've got you've got now you've got something, um, and you can look back in life where you could see someone did a super spreading event and it just went whoa out of control. Yeah. So by social distancing, we can actually have that information ready for the health department. We could say. I haven't been out of my house in the past 14 days. So, I have been self-isolated. So, so I, I went here. I went there. I talked to this person. So we minimize the workload on the people trying to protect us then. If we do, in fact, you know, come down with it, there's a lot less work for them to do to do that backtracking investigation. Um, and, again, I don't think people understand on the public health side how intense that is. So that, Well, it's, you know— it's, the other thing, too, is I've often asked people, I said, okay, now think of how many people you've um, interacted with. Can you make a list for me? And then I did that in my little professional development training, and people were kind of like, I can't even remember the past people I've seen in the past three days. Right. And then um, and then you make this list, and now imagine every single person will get a phone call from the public health department, which to someone who's got the disease, if you're very private, yeah, your, your heart starts to go, oh, 
Right. Because right. You, you also, you know, and I think that's the reason why I also want to make sure that people um, don't have stigma with it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just because someone, there are a lot of people who have COVID-19 who have not been tested right. and who have it. Yeah. So just because someone has COVID-19 and they've been tested, it does not mean that they've been irresponsible or that sure. they did, didn't do due diligence. Yeah, yeah. And, and and we have to be very mindful of their their privacy and their medical rights. Too. Yeah. Well, we're, so, all, anyway. we're all in it together, that's for sure. That That's one thing mm-hmm. that's coming out. Uh, to me, I mean, we can't be selfish about it. We have to be thinking of yeah, everyone. Yeah, and be kind. Too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, Sarah, I think this has been a great show. And be- between this and the the presentation that you've animated and voiced over, I think people will just it. You know, knowledge is power if you understand what you're learning, right? And and I think it's very important to to answer some questions. And I feel more confident moving forward that I have a little bit better handle on the the base foundation of this so thanks so much for joining us and definitely tell your tell people to go to the world uh, health organization site and cdc yes definitely the links that you had in your presentation (laughs) i will embed right into the page for the podcast show so it'll all be hyperlinked directly so um i've already i've got all those set up and i'll i'll have the show posted um by tomorrow so thanks a lot and Stay safe and well up in Oregon, and uh, I'll be I'll be checking in on you. All right, great, thanks. Yeah. Have a great day. Bye. You've been listening to Lane Braze Radio Show at thelanebraze.com. Until next time, keep moving well to think well, be strong to be useful, and stay at home. <laughs>